It is another edition of Lockdown Royals on the Lockdown Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jack Johnson. We're going to dive into this front office and what moves they need to make for the offseason. We're going to talk about MJ Melendez and the praise he should be receiving. And lastly, what is the true role for Alec Marsh? Is it in the bullpen? Is it in the rotation? We're going to dive into that next on Locked On Royals. You are Locked On Royals, your daily Kansas City Royals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Lockdown Royals your first listen every day. And you can always find us on those podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music. You can always find us on YouTube as well. And if you want to check me out on Twitter, you can do so by following me at JohnnyJ underscore 15. That's at J-O-H-N-Y-J underscore one five. But if this is your first listen ever to Lockdown Royals, you've Maybe come over here for the first time because of the surge by Bobby Wood Jr. Maybe you were intrigued by the play of Michael Garcia or Cole Reagans. Well, my name is Jack Johnson. I've always been a lifelong Royals fan. I've worked in sports media now uh, ever since I've been in college. You know, I've been covering the Royals for the last three to four years. I've been doing that through Royals Review of SB Nation. I do so my current job at Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm a radio host there, and of course, I'm the host of this podcast, and no matter what the record is, I always say this, I have a lot of joy bringing my coverage to you, and I wouldn't be able to do this if it wasn't for you, the listeners, and the followers, and the interactions that we all have on Twitter, on YouTube, and any way I can really reach out to you. Never hesitate to shoot me a question. Wherever you can contact me at, whether it be Twitter, YouTube, podcasting pages, I'll try to get back to you as soon as I can. I think it was perfect for me to open up the show today with a deep dive into maybe the offseason and what now needs to happen. And maybe my true reactions, my true feelings to John Sherman, to J.J. Piccolo, to Matt Quattrero. We had a podcast dedicated to this not too long ago. Not too long ago at all. And I do want to give you my true thoughts and my firm beliefs, and maybe give you some betting props because one of our sponsors today is FanDuel. So if you want to get into FanDuel before the end of Major League Baseball season and right before the football season, you should do that right now because with FanDuel, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you can get a bonus bet every time they win in the regular season. So just pick any team to win the Super Bowl and you will get bonus bets for every single victory with FanDuel. So the bets maybe I should give you going in to the offseason might be fun to use FanDuel with it as well as maybe where some players are going to end up. But, of course, that's more of a play on here. That's more fun and more so, I guess, a joke than what I'm really going to talk about here in regards to the offseason. Because the Kansas City Royals are approaching an offseason I think might be their most important offseason since 2014. Maybe 2013, if you want to say the moves for James Shields, Wade Davis, and and Omar Infante were pushing them over the edge. I wouldn't argue with that. I could see that argument working out. But the reason it's so important now is for the first time all year, and no, the wins are not piling up. They're 13 and 18 in the second half. Much better if 
the Royals would have started 13 and 18 this year, going back to April and May, I think we'd all be feeling pretty good. You know, not overwhelmed, not not overwhelming the rest of the AL or not shocking anybody in Major League Baseball. They just were competitive. They've been competitive for the last 30 games or so. But for the first time all year, you're seeing the guys that they expected to perform perform above standards. They're not mediocre anymore. They're not below average. These guys are excelling. Bobby Wood Jr., MJ Melendez, Michael Massey, Brady Singer. This is what we all envision. And I think the front office envisioned that. And now you have a fan base that is slowly being drugged back in. And I get it. Look, we're all going to talk about, well, this happens every single year. Every time the Royals are bad, once it gets to games where it doesn't matter, it's in the second half, they go on some tear. And we all buy into them. And then the time the offseason rolls around, they don't really make a serious move. And we're back to square one in April and May and June. This is why I wanted to kick off the show, though, with a look into the future and why I firmly believe this front office is going to make moves because I feel like their hand's been forced. They have to. Okay, not only to please the fans. I think we all would be a bit naive. We all would be a bit foolish to think that front offices make moves just to please the fans. They're trying to do so to better the team. If the investment is a smart one, they'll make that investment. If it's jumping the gun, depends on the aggression of the owner and the GM. But what's so important with this upcoming offseason is there's a lot going on. The downtown stadium. Okay, a team that's going to be coming off its worst record in franchise history, likely, barring another 7-10 to 10 game winning streak. But they're likely going to break the 2005 Royals record, but that doesn't mean they're in the same spot the 05 Royals were. The 05 Royals did not have a superstar. Those were in the days, you know, after they had built somewhat of a competitive team with Beltron, you know, go back further with Dye and Damon. You know, you had Joe Randa, Mike Sweeney a little bit later. There were great players in the early 2000s. But once you got to 05, there wasn't much to hang your hat on. This team, I think, does. They're incredibly young, but that's another part going into this. So you have the pressure of this team was not competitive. For a large portion of this year, they were not competitive. They did not perform, I guess you could say, up to standard. I don't think people were expecting a winning season or 70-plus wins but not 110-plus losses. I think we all would agree that this isn't what we were all expecting. This wasn't in the wheelhouse for this team. It was going to be a team that lost upwards of 90 games, maybe a little bit more than that, but they're going to shatter that. So you have the pressure on your back of that, that you have to improve a, let's say, 51-111 and team. Let's say it's that. That would be, I guess, 12 more wins to close out the year. That seems like it might be low-blowing a little bit. They've got some... Uh, lesser opponents maybe, or the Oakland days are coming up in Oakland, so we'll see how that series goes. Uh, they do get some matchups with the White Sox in Detroit. Again, we'll see how that goes, but maybe they do finish the more than 51 wins. That's beside the point, though, here. So you have that pressure, bad record, need to improve. Number two here, downtown stadium. You need fans to vote on it. I'll tell you right now, there is a large chunk of fans that will not vote yes unless money is put into this team. If you go through another valuation year, you're not going to have any support whatsoever. None. No support for this team if you go through another valuation year. Number three, Bobby Wood Jr. is coming off an MVP caliber season. At least we're seeing this now in the second half. You are seeing a player transform before your eyes. And yes, you can give him that long-term extension now, but you need to prove to him it's going to be a worthwhile extension, not just 
dollar signs here. You need to show that this is going to be a team that is competing in their division, that is competing for the postseason. It's time to listen to the fans where they can give you that support. The, the beauty of Kansas City is you don't need a 95-plus win team to see sellouts. There was 37K at Kauffman Stadium over the weekend. Now, I know 50% of them are Cardinals fans, but people are still showing out. They're showing up. There have been some games this year with good promotional events. The K's been pretty crowded. And this team has not been competitive from April 1st to now, at least in the standings. You give them a 500 ball club, the K will be rocking majority of those weeknight games, definitely on the weekends. And it'd be fun to support that team. So it's time to listen to fans, even though I said that they don't make decisions based on the happiness and and the sadness of fans. It has to be financially responsible, and they've got to pick the right guys. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to go out on a limb, and maybe it bites me in the butt in the long run. I think a lot of moves are made because of what is in store. What is there for the future? you got to convince your superstar. It's going to be worth sticking around. It's going to be worth signing that 10- to 12-year contract. You're going to have to convince the fans that are on the fence or maybe completely against a downtown stadium that you can invest in this team. And for J.J. Piccolo, you got to pick the right guys. Nobody wants to see the bargain bin shopping. Nobody wants to see another Jordan Lyles 2.0 signing. Now, I know the free agent pool isn't incredible, but still, I think you can make some moves through trade, through free agency, that you can really surprise some people. It's a bad division. Not saying the Royals are going to sign some guys and sign 20 guys, and all of a sudden, they're a 95-win team. Still a long ways to go. But at least now, you kind of have some pieces in place. You can build around that, add a lot of pitching, mainly in the starting rotation, overhaul that bullpen. Maybe it's a little bit different. But this is why I think it's time for ownership in the front office to really listen to the fans. You've been asking for a core. I think there's at least half a core in place. But you can't waste those years. You got to really impress not just the fans. You got to impress your own players. You got to impress people with the, the big wallets here. To go out to Kauffman Stadium, pack this place, you got to get people to vote yes. And if you're sitting on your butt, sitting on your tail, and not doing anything, well, I can't really support it then. And there's going to be a lot of people that are not going to support the direction of this team's. Spending doesn't solve everything, but showing a little bit of aggression, I think that'll go a long way with this fan base, and I think this fan base deserves a little bit of aggression from the higher-ups in this franchise. Okay, I do want to talk about one of these guys that has slowly filtered his way back into the core and what he did that has really cemented it for me, that he is going to be a part of that core. We're going to talk about him next on Lockdown Royals. You are tuning to Lockdown Royals on the Lockdown Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jack Johnson. You can always follow me on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. That's at J-O-H-N-Y-J underscore one five. Now, before we dive into MJ Melendez and his continued surge at the plate, let's give a shout out to one of today's title sponsors in Nutrafol. Now, I think a lot of guys may be embarrassed to talk about, you know, thinning hair. You always want to look good. You always want to have thick, curly hair, growing hair, and you never have to worry about putting on a ball cap to hide the bald spots. Well, Nutrafol is what you should use. It is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement clinically shown to improve your hair growth, visible thickness, 
and visible scalp coverage. So you need to go to Nutrafol.com slash men to take their health and hair wellness quiz, identify causes of your thinning hair, and Nutrafol will give you a personalized plan for better hair health through whole body wellness. So take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 on your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com slash men and enter the promo code LOCKEDONMLB. Find out why over 4,000 healthcare professionals recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com slash men spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com slash men and enter promo code LOCKEDONMLB. That's Nutrafol.com slash men, promo code LOCKEDONMLB. I think one of the guys that I've kind of found myself rooting rooting for alongside Michael Massey is MJ Melendez. And MJ Melendez is a guy that we once again dedicated an entire episode to after the second half. I believe it was right around that Boston series, so not too long ago at all. It was just last week, I believe it was. We dove into those numbers, and he's only continued to get better back-to-back three-hit games for the power-hitting lefty. You can see the swagger coming back. You can see the confidence. And guess what else here? Has anybody really seen a problematic play, uh, a head-scratching play, a face-palm play from MJ Melendez defensively in a while? And these that was with a series at Fenway Park where he was dealing with the monster. Now, since I watch every single one of these games from start to finish, I can remember, I couldn't remember the defensive mishaps he had in Philadelphia. You don't got to go back that far. But since then, since it's continued to improve at the plate, he's getting more comfortable out there. I think last night there was one play that really stood out to me. It was a ball in the gap. Drew Waters is on the run from center field, and MJ just comes gliding over and catches it near the wall. I think you're starting to see a guy a little bit more comfortable. No, by the way, he played first base at the very end of the night. That is the fourth position they've asked him to play this year catcher first base right field left field and let us not forget he played some third base third base in the minor leagues now the thing with mj melendez and i've stuck by this that if you are going to be a liability defensively you have to really make up for it at the plate and now we're starting to see mj melendez make up for it at the plate And if he doesn't make any mistakes, he makes the routine plays in the outfield, he's fine. He is a part of this core. And that's been the beautiful part about this second half. You know, I could give a bleep about W's and L's. I want to see the young guys perform because individual numbers are far more important than team numbers at this point. I know it's fun to look at team ERA in the second half, OPS in the second half, and a lot of that is because of the young players surging. But it really doesn't stand out for me. I like to see the individual numbers for Michael Massey, for Melendez, for Bobby Witt, for Michael Garcia, for Drew Waters, for Kyle Isbell, for Freddie Fermin. I like to see those numbers. You know, Nelson Velasquez last night, two for four, his third home run for the Royals on this homestand. I care about that. I don't care about the loss. You know, Dylan Coleman... Didn't look that great. Michael Garcia, the air, which hurt, but 
They lose a game six to five. They were down to three nothing early on. James MacArthur was a terrible opener. Alec Marsh kind of got squeezed by Angel Hernandez, but five innings of one run ball. Like these are things that make me feel better about the direction of this team and why the tie back in in the first segment. The front office can show you that aggression because there's more and more guys that you can, I think, count on to bounce back with this. Here's the thing. If we're ever going to see that rise back up to prominence, to relevancy, you have to start somewhere. Okay, so I have people from time to time comment to me on Twitter, and you can follow me there at J underscore 15, that it doesn't matter. They're going to lose 100 games. Why should I care? You know, these guys are playing in front of nobody. They're playing well in games that are meaningless. For young guys, especially at this level, a big part of success is confidence. When MJ Melendez was struggling, you saw that he didn't have much confidence. But when you have that contagious personality, the contagious hitting, the contagious offense, everybody gets confidence. Massey does. Fermin does. Waters does. Even guys off the bench, Samad Taylor, Dyron Blanco, those guys get the juice. They get the excitement. And that's what builds a winner. Here's what's always so interesting is that the Royals and Royals fans have always tried to see, you know, how they could go back to 14 and 15. And you try to follow the similar path of, okay, where are we at? Are we the 2008 Royals or the 2012 Royals? Are we the 2004 Royals or the, the 2001 Royals? You, Royals fans do that. You look for a, a linear trend just because we struggle here. Oh, they struggled that much in 08, so it means next year's going to be 09. Here's where I am with young players. What is so, I think, similar is back in 2012, right after 2011, when guys like Eric Hosmer made his debut, Mustakis later on making the debut. You had seen Lorenzo King, you know, in between 11 and 12. Well, that 2012 year, all those top prospects, all those guys, they struggled mightily. They went through severe sophomore slumps. But once they got that confidence back in 13 and then carried into 14, it spread through everybody. And I really do believe hand placement for sure. You know, MJ Melendez adjusting on the fly, trying to adapt to major league pitching. You know, just because he's in year two of his big league career and he's played numerous games at this point, that does not mean that he is just all the way there. He's, he's mature. At this point, he should be thriving. It still takes time. But I certainly believe that seeing other guys, guys he came up with thriving, that trickles down. It really does. And when you see the ball drop in, you hit the ball hard, it has the sweet spot off the bat, and it finds outfield grass, it gives you that confidence. MJ Melendez has never had a problem hitting the ball hard this year. But it was just finding gloves. And then on the bats, he wasn't hitting it hard. He was striking out. But when that goes down and those start turning into hits and the average goes up, it's a confidence thing. They always tell you this in baseball, especially for big leaguers. When you look up on the scoreboard and you see you're hitting 180, it's hard to stay confident. It's hard to stay positive. You're going, everybody in this ballpark can see that. My face is right up there. It's hard to go to the plate. But then when you see the numbers rising, I mean, can you imagine the feeling you get? No, not trying to say 
that this team is exactly where some of those young guys were, like Hosmer, Mustakas, Kane, and Escobar, and Salvi were back in 2010, 11, and 12. I'm not saying that. The thing is, every single young player has a path like this in the big leagues. And just because their team may lose 90 to 100 games, it doesn't mean it's meaningless. Confidence is a big thing because these guys have to figure out at the big league level what works for them. They have to know they can hit big league pitching. It is so much of a mental game. A lot of it is physical, but baseball is so mental. If a good pitcher gets the best of you time and time and again, what happens to your confidence? It goes way down every time you see him. But you get that guy once or twice. Now it's, I've done it before. I can do it again. And that's why it's nice to see Bobby Wood Jr. go on this trend because he's now going to know, I can have stretches like this. Massey knows he can have stretches like this. Melendez knows stretches like this are possible. But I continue to praise his adaptability. That was the title of our podcast episode with MJ Melendez. It was the adaptability, the coachability he's shown, and now it's paying off. His OPS is above 850 in the last month. His OBP is north of 330. He's got 12 extra base hits in the last month. He's got six home runs. I mean, that's the type of hitter you want from MJ Melendez. We saw Nick Prado have a good surgery in the year. He's been on the IL for a while, but it's things like that that make you confident in the core. You have a good core, you can spend money. There's less holes to fill. And that's the good thing about this offseason. I expect them to be aggressive, but whereas three months ago, I was saying, okay, keep Garcia and Bobby Witt Jr. That's it. Everybody else you can move on from. Now I'm feeling a little bit better about Massey, about Melendez. I know Pasquantino is going to be back. I know he's going to be a good middle of the bat type, or middle of the lineup type of guy. Freddie Fermin's shown that he can be a mainstay. He's a little bit older, but a two-war player in 52, 53 games, that's pretty good for a catcher. Okay, Drew Waters at his moments. I'm listing off a lot of guys, and not everybody's going to stay. Not everybody's going to go back to that, you know, this tear they've been on. But you have to see it. And this is why all season long I was preaching that for this team to ever click, the core guys have to produce. They're not going to win many games with one of them producing. It's got to be Bobby Witt. It's got to be Massey and Melendez and Pasquantino and Garcia. They all play well together. They all perform in that lineup. They're usually going to win that game. You rely on a pitcher. You rely on Jordan Lyles to grind you through six. You're going to lose. You're going to rely just simply on Salvi's power. You're going to lose. But now that Melendez is doing that, it's so important for this lineup, and it's exciting to see. Okay, one other guy that I thought stood out, but in a unique way in the game the other night, was Alec Marsh. I've asked this question many times, but I feel like I got to give you a firm answer now. What is the role for Alec Marsh? I'll tell you what it is next on Lockdown Royals. You are tuning to Lockdown Royals on the Lockdown Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jack Johnson. You can always follow me on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. That's at J-O-H-N-Y-J underscore one five. Before we talk about Alec Marsh and the role he may have for this team going into 2024, let's give a shout out to one of today's other sponsors in Sleeper. I got some fun picks for the game later on this afternoon. It'll be Angel Serpa against George Kirby, who has really been lights out for Seattle. But I am going to go with one Mariners player and one Royals player. So Julio Rodriguez had a four-hit game the other night. He has been scorching hot. 
I like this matchup for him against Angel Serpa, so I'm going to pick him to homer in this game. That's right. I'm going to go a little bit above and beyond here, and I think that the young budding star for Seattle, the former AL Rookie of the Year, is going to run into one. Maybe I should bet on Ty France, who's got the best average of anybody at the minimum 30 at-bats at Kauffman Stadium, but I feel like J-Rod is due for a long ball at Kauffman Stadium. I think he hits it off Serpa. As for the Royals, I think that I am going to go with the likes of Michael Garcia here to have a multi-hit game. He's at 18 games for his hitting streak. 18 games for the hitting streak, and I feel like once he gets that first one in the first, which he's done for the last five games, it's going to be pretty easy to get that second. So that's the other guy I'm going to go with, Michael Garcia, a multi-hit game, and Julio Rodriguez homering on off of, excuse me, on Hell Serpa. So do you think my picks are right? Do you think you uh, could do any better than me? Well, you can do that right now on Sleeper, so you can swing for the fences with up to 100 times the payouts. All you have to do is choose two or more players that you like and select more or less on their stat categories like home runs, strikeouts, hits, and more. Get your picks right, and you could win big with Sleeper. Alec Marsh is such an intriguing case. I've interviewed the guy before. Great guy, a really analytically driven guy. Now, thinks about the data, thinks about the spin rate, rap soto, all that great stuff. But what I've seen from him in his first year in Kansas City is so almost humorous. And I want to describe this in the perfect way so it doesn't come off as confusing or like I'm taking any shots at him. But for some reason, Alec Marsh looks nothing like his numbers. His numbers are not good. If you just grabbed out the box score, if you just looked at MLB.com, baseball reference, fan graphs, baseball savant, you would not be blown away. You wouldn't. He's 0-6, not that pitcher wins matter, but he's 0-6, a 5-5-plus ERA. His whip's well above league average. But every time I see him on the mound, I'm not looking at him like I do with Jordan Lyles or James MacArthur or Tucker Davidson or the first half Brady Singer. I don't look at him like Daniel Lynch. I kind of have some confidence in him. Now, coming out of the bullpen this year, which he's done now in three of his last four outings, His ERA is under three, but he's also walked eight guys in 11 innings. He struck out 10, and that's always kind of been a theme for Alec Marsh. You'll take what he can give you, but he's going to walk a lot of guys. And in this game last night against Seattle, he strikes out six in five innings of one run ball, but walks five. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so last two outings, he's been used as a bulk pitcher. You don't know what a bulk pitcher is. Use the opener. He's the guy that goes from innings two to six, hopefully. And he gets knocked around his first inning. Never really looks clean, but he was getting squeezed by Angel Hernandez. But he gets through five innings, and that was exactly like his start in Boston. He gets roughed up a little bit in his first outing, or his first inning, excuse me, and then he kind of just finds himself. He deals with base runners. That's the thing. His whip's pretty high. He deals with base runners, but he always gets out of it. So I'm wondering myself, what is this role? Do I want him to be a starter? Well, I saw at Yankee Stadium, he was, you know, of course, damaged by the short porch, but I wasn't that impressed. At Citizens Bank in Philadelphia, I wasn't that impressed. He was lights out against Tampa Bay when he had 11 Ks. He wasn't very good against the Dodgers, so it's kind of hit and miss, and I think Matt Quattrero is trying him out as a bulk pitcher because maybe in the end he is a bullpen guy in the long run, but I feel like i got to put my feet down here. What is he really going to be in 2024? Because for 2023, this is what he's going to be. He's going to close out this year 
being a bulk pitcher because now he's found some success. He's found some stability. Matt Cotrero is not going to mess with that. So I think in 2024, going into spring training, the goal for Alec Marsh, I think, will be a swingman. I think him and Austin Cox are going to go into 2024 fighting for a rotational spot, but in the end, they are going to be that swingman coming out of the bullpen, kind of in the way that Ryan Yarbrough was used to begin the year. You know, your starter goes four or five innings. You need a guy to give you two or three. It's Austin Cox or Alec Marsh. I like Marsh's stuff better. I like Austin Cox's command a bit more. So what do I want in a long reliever? Well, maybe if it's a two-run game and the Royals have the lead, I can lean on Marsh. That's kind of the way of baseball now. Long relievers used to kind of be thought of as just, you know, garbage can guys. Just go out there and if we're getting lit up, just, just wear it. You can have some value in a swingman. There's times that somebody grinds through five, your bullpen's a bit taxed. Hey, I need two innings from somebody. Alec Marsh can be that guy. I think that's his role in 2024. It's not in this rotation. It's not a one-inning setup guy. I think he's going to be that two- to three-inning guy to the bullpen next year, and I already think he has an inside track spot for him. I think he's got that inside track for a final spot in that bullpen. It may come down to him and Austin Cox, depending who they add to their bullpen, but it does help out that he's a righty, Cox is a lefty. So maybe you could utilize both of them in that spot, but that's the role I think is going to be a future fit for him. That two-inning guy, that three-inning guy, not a complete long relief, just you know, throw him in there to wear it type of guy. You can use him in big-time spots, but that's where I'm kind of at with him right now. He's not a one-inning guy. He's not really a starter, and the Royals aren't going to use many openers, it feels like, to begin next year. So if he can be that Ryan Yarbrough type to begin the year, but much better, I like that role for Austin Cox. Okay, that is going to do it for another edition of Locked On Royals on the Locked On Podcast Network. I've been your host, Jack Johnson. You can always follow me on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. That's at J-O-H-N-Y-J underscore 15. And check us out on all those podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and you can find us on YouTube. We will not have a show tomorrow, but do not worry. I'll still be doing a Mailbag Friday. Just shoot me those questions over on Twitter. Uh, That's the best place to reach me. If you shot me over some questions on YouTube, I apologize for not always getting to those. Twitter is the best way to reach me. You can either tweet directly at me or you can direct message me. So I'll be excited to see what you guys have in store for you with those Mailbag Friday questions. But until then, you take it easy, Kansas City.